Hello and welcome to the next installment of Opt-In NYC Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joe Galetta, joined in studio this week with... John Negron. Kenzie, a.k.a. Chicken Nugget. And we have our special guest this week. Lieutenant Ronald Perez. How you doing, Lou? I'm good in yourself. So far, so good. Good. So I mean this with all due respect. What do you do here? <laughs> it's a question I'm often asked. <clears throat> I am the operations coordinator for the NYPD Community Center located at 127 Pennsylvania Avenue. I'm basically responsible for all the programming and all the personnel in the center. So if somebody wants to run a program in the center, a CBO, a police officer wants to run a programming in the center, they come to me and we flesh out the programs and then we fit them into the schedule. And what brought you to doing that? What made you interested in that? It was actually an interesting story because I was in another unit, a very prestigious unit, and I had been there for about seven years and it was time, I felt it was time for me. I wanted to do something else. I wanted to, to just grow and be a part of something a little bit bigger than myself. And I thought this was an interesting opportunity. I knew the former commanding officer, we were friends. And I heard about this opportunity here. So I applied. And you being friends with the CEO got you in, huh? No, not really. I was actually, uh, I was interviewed by somebody else because of my relationship, because of I, because I was friends with her. And what was this prestigious unit that you had before? So I was a lieutenant in the NYPD aviation unit. So I'm an airplane and helicopter pilot. And did you have that license and certification before coming into the job or did you get it here? So I came onto the job as a commercial airplane pilot. And then while I was in the academy, they told me that there was this excellent opportunity that I could go into the aviation unit. I was like, okay, no problem. That sounds cool. <clears throat> Wound up becoming a cop. Worked in uh, the A3 precinct in Bushwick. And I just fell in love with being a street cop. And I never applied for the unit until I was a sergeant in, that was in 2010 when I was picked up as a sergeant. I actually, I, I used to live in Bushwick. So when you said okay. Bushwick, I got like super excited. Um, but so you said you picked up aviation when you were a sergeant. Um, so you actually joined the unit? Yeah, I was actually, I was picked up by them. They, I was assigned to the aviation unit in November of 2010 as a sergeant. And for anyone who like might not know what, what aviation means, what is the aviation unit in the department? So the aviation unit is the airborne wing of the police department. They have uh, seven helicopters. Two are used for air-sea rescue because the Coast Guard does not cover the waterways of New York. Four are used for patrols, so those are the ones that look for the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And then one is used as a trainer. What is a typical day in aviation look like? Because I could imagine there's all, anything that could happen at the drop of a hat that would require a helicopter. So what, what kind of calls do you respond to, I guess? So the aviation unit will respond to calls for, uh, for, for looking for bad guys, They're searching for perpetrators of crimes that maybe have secreted themselves in a backyard and we use the infrared cameras and uh, the forward looking infrared cameras for that, which kind of all know what that looks like. It's like a, a gray and white screen. So you use that <clears throat> medevac, uh, which doesn't really happen too much in New York because hospitals are relatively close to each other, but other agencies, other adjoining agencies, Westchester, Nassau, Suffolk County, they may call us in to help us help them with a medevac. Um, uh, flying during Hurricane Sandy, or in the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy, the helicopters were used extensively to fly materials around the city to neighborhoods that were impassable because of the roads and the conditions. Uh, the air-sea rescue component is used to fly offshore up to 50 miles offshore, or maybe a little bit more, to rescue people off of boats that have been injured, to people in distress in the water, people who unfortunately do decide to jump off of uh, bridges, 
that helicopter is used for that. So you guys have seven helicopters. Mm -hmm. And with the city that has millions and millions of people, does it ever feel kind of overwhelming knowing that like there could be a chance that there's too much happening for those seven helicopters? Like what if like there was a situation where like, like is, is that an anxiety or a feeling that you might have had during aviation? No, not really, because you have to realize as big as the city is, it's not. Because it, it, it's a densely populated city, okay? And it's a very vertical city. But it is not geographically tremendous like Los Angeles. Los Angeles is geographically huge. Instead of having, like we have one helicopter aviation base, which is in Brooklyn. In Los Angeles, they have, I think, seven spread out around the city because it's such a spread out, sprawling city. New Year's Eve, all seven helicopters are in the air. Okay, and you have one with a command and control who's like the highest ranking person, a lieutenant or a captain, and then the other ones are each assigned to a borough. But one helicopter can go from Staten Island to the Bronx in, in four minutes. Working in the aviation unit, what would have been your most challenging task? The most challenging part about that is because I was always, I was always a street cop. I was always on patrol in a car or I was in anti-crime. I was in a street-based narcotics unit. So I was always on the street. The most challenging part for me was not second-guessing the cops on the ground while I was a thousand feet in the air. And that is incredibly difficult to do. How many pilots would be in the helicopter at once? Because I know you talked about having the infrared cameras. Would one be flying, one be on the camera? or Right. You have one flying pilot and then one mission officer. So the mission officer is operating all the mission equipment, talking to the cops on the ground, and the flying pilot is conducting the safe uh, path of the helicopter, keeping the helicopter flying. And then you switch off. Like tonight it'll be you flying. Tomorrow it'll be my turn to sit in that seat. A lot of people don't know, like, they hear aviation, they might think helicopter, air, but they don't know exactly, like, not many people would know that there's only seven helicopters. Right, and it's interesting, you know, I mean, because the city is so, it's, it's conceptual, okay, so it's perspective. So, for you, having never been up in helicopter, or I don't know if you have, but having never been up in helicopter flying over the Bronx... To you, the city is like this tremendous, sprawling, bigger thing, giant. Meanwhile, I'm up there and those guys are up there now at 1,000 feet, 2,000 feet. It's really not that big, you know? So, and you can go from place to place real fast. So what kind of regulations does the aviation unit have as far as like airspace around like JFK or LaGuardia or other air traffic? So what a lot of people don't understand is that everything above your head belongs to the federal government. Okay, all the air above us is the federal government. It's their responsibility. They're the oversight committee. So, or the governing authority. And the the oversight of that is through the Federal Aviation Administration. So NYPD helicopters, just like any other aircraft, have to follow the same guidelines. So we would have to talk to JFK Tower, LaGuardia Tower, Newark Tower, if you're going over by Staten Island or on the Hudson River. So we're still governed even though we're a law enforcement agency, we're acting in the public interest and a public service, we still have to follow the same exact rules as American Airlines or, well, not American Airlines, but another helicopter operator. Do you have like 
height requirements like they tell you don't fly above a certain altitude or you have to maintain above a, a minimum altitude or anything like that because i've seen the helicopters come in pretty low through yeah, the city pretty low yeah, yeah the, the reason for that is because we have we're surrounded by three major airports just in the city alone okay and people don't realize that it's it's actually three they think about uh laguardia and and kennedy but we also have newark and Newark actually does service the city as well. So that jet traffic tends to be above 2,000 feet, which is why you see the helicopter traffic lower. So there's parts of Brooklyn and a huge segments of Queens where helicopters have to be at 500 feet. They can't go above that because you'll have a plane coming in on approach to land or taking off. So you have to stay clear of them. So that's why there is a lot of separation. And people, like, if you're nervous of flying, don't be, because there's a lot, a lot of thought that goes into all this stuff. Now, what is it as the youth, what do you guys always think when you see a helicopter flying overhead? When I lived in Bushwick, it was the biggest thing of um, whenever something would happen and there'd be a police helicopter overhead, there'd be like that spotlight out. And I, I rarely see it now, but when I was younger, it was always like this big thing like, whoa, because it would pass over the buildings and it would like go through my house. We'd keep the lights off because power and whatnot. So there was like just, just this huge light going through the window. And it was like the big spooky thing of like, oh, the helicopters are out, something's happening. So it was kind of not the boogeyman, but it was like kind of that the horn of like, oh, something's happening. There's a helicopter outside. That's what it was for me. Not to give away any trade secrets, but we use the light a lot less now than we used to. And that falls back to training. But it's also important to note that the helicopters aren't always looking for bad guys. It's, we call them in for missings as well. If there's a missing child, the helicopters will fly over looking for, you know, is the kid hiding on a, hiding on a roof or something as well. See, See I know something about aviation. Too. Yeah, so that's <laughs> sadly... Uh, I mean, the, the most extensive search I was ever a part of was for the, that young man, Avante Akendo. And we were spent several hours every single day searching the shorelines because, as we know, uh, kids that are on the spectrum or have autism tend to gravitate towards bodies of water. So we were spent extensive, extensive amount of time. So that was... That was, we spent a lot of time looking for him and searching, but it's not only for bad guys. A, a lot of times it's looking for missing elderly people, looking for missing children, um, you know, stuff like that. Wait, so you know like when you get the Amber Alerts or the missing kids, right? So do like you get a call to send a helicopter out to look for somebody? How does that work? So usually what they'll do is they'll request a helicopter over the, over the radio. Nine times out of ten, that's how it happens. Or... If it's something unique, like an amber alert or a silver alert, which is the equivalent for a missing per a missing elderly person, then that usually comes over the phone. Anything else that you want to add in about aviation that we haven't touched on yet? I, I think it's important, especially I'm a Latino. I grew up in Brooklyn. I think it's important for young men and women, especially young women, because there's only one female helicopter pilot in the NYPD. Her name is Laura Zibikowski, and I had the pleasure of flying with her for a long time. Incredible, incredible cop, pilot, and person. Um, I think that as quote-unquote minorities, that we need to push that agenda forward. We have an excellent program here at the Center Aviation for Us, which is run by Inspector Winston Faison. And I think it's very important for us to realize that that opportunity 
to become pilots, to, to learn how to fly, to take this to the nth degree. And, you know, that th- we have to go into those fields. We have to stop looking at things as glass ceilings and everything like that. And we have to go for these fields. Was there any kind of extra testing that you needed to do to get on to be the aviation pilot? Um, well, when I got there, I was an airplane pilot. I was not a helicopter pilot. So there's an entrance exam to get into the unit. Um, and then there's actually a physical standard. And then after that, they would send you, they had their own instructors. So the department is very self-contained. Their own instructors taught you how to fly. And then once you got your uh, commercial helicopter pilot's license through the department, they would send us to Texas or to wherever the factory that built that particular model of helicopters based out of. And those factories have their own specialized schools and you would go down in. It was like really two weeks of super intensive training. And now we'll pause for one minute and listen to our sponsors. And we're back. So aside from being a pilot, you're also the president of the NYPD CrossFit team? Yes. So what is CrossFit? Uh, CrossFit is a methodology of functional fitness where, um, as opposed to bodybuilding and uh, traditional powerlifting, it marries different sports. And the defining principle of CrossFit is you're not a specialist in any one thing. However, you are the jack of all trades when it comes to physical fitness. Including lifting, cardio. uh, That's about the extent of my fitness knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So, a great line is this. So, if if somebody wants to run a marathon, they train to run a marathon, right? So, if you tell me that all you do all day is train to run this marathon, seven days a week, all you do is run – well, you're going to have a great one-mile time. Your one-mile time is going to be five minutes. Okay, and that's extraordinary. It's an incredible accomplishment. However, I, by telling me that you have a five-minute mile, I already know that you can't back squat. You can't deadlift. Or you can, but it's incredibly lightweight. But if you tell me that you can back squat or deadlift 500 pounds and you can do that all day long or even more, Okay, and a perfect example of that is this world's strongest man, Hagthor Bjornsson, who played the mountain on uh, Game of Thrones. He can lift a thousand pounds, but I tell you this much, I know what his one mile time is. So the specialty of CrossFit is not specializing. It's being the jack of all trades. It's being able to have a good eight minute mile, but also being able to back squat or deadlift 450 pounds. So CrossFit, it's a sport. Question, Mark? Um... No, not not question mark. So, uh, sorry. Uh, it, it's we view it. Those of us who are devotees of CrossFit view it as a sport. We also view it as a lifestyle. So, like if you look at the CrossFit Games and you see people like Catherine David's daughter and, you know, um, uh, Matt Frazier and Rich Froney and Jason Kalipa, who's one of our greatest supporters, you see them and you're like, wow, these people do these incredible things and they compete and they win prizes and, you know, it, it's, it's, they call it the CrossFit Open and the CrossFit Games and, you know, it, it is this adventurous thing. So, it, yeah, it, it's a sport in that sense. But 
for the mere mortals like us, it's a, a lifestyle. It's a, it's a way of training. It's a way of being prepared. You know, the great line that the the founder of CrossFit used was being it's uh, being prepared for the unknown and the unknowable. And in law enforcement, as first responders, firefighters, EMTs, paramedics, that's incredibly important because we don't know what we're walking into. So what does the NYPD CrossFit team do? Myself, uh, Detective Brian Zaccaro, Police Officer John LaDuca, and a couple other guys started this back in 2018. And the founding principle of it was to try to bring a greater awareness of the epidemic of obesity on the department. So I was 310 pounds at one point. Okay, I've maintained 210 to 220 pounds for the last six and a half years, almost seven years. And that was as a result of getting involved with CrossFit and proper nutrition and a few other things. So our founding principle, the reason we started all of this was to get cops to start working out and not just cops, any employee of the NYPD, there's 65,000 of us, get everybody in the NYPD to work out. And we didn't really care if they did CrossFit per se. Eventually we wanted people to do CrossFit, but just to, to get the precept, the idea of maybe I should walk today. Maybe I should work out a little bit today. <clears throat> and there's, there's several teams in the department that we wanted people to expo get themselves exposed to, CrossFit just being one of them. And one of the problems with the NYPD not just the NYPD, <clears throat> excuse me, law enforcement in general, is that the most obese profession in the United States is actually law enforcement. Number two is truck drivers. That's a really weird comparison, actually. <laughs> yeah, that was told to me by uh, Dr. Amy West, who's a very good friend of ours. So is there like a specific limit on having the cross that life or like age limit or it's like everybody could do it? One of my old partners, uh, Steve Browning, he's... He retired at, what is he, uh, 60 years old, 62 years old? He does it. Um, uh, one of my friends, his grandmother does it. And it's like, you know, I, I've i never seen, I'm 52 and I do it. You know, I've, my son is 18, my daughter's 15. They both do it. So is this something someone could do at home? Do you need to go to a gym? No, you don't need to go to a gym. Um, one of the things that people can do is you can find common everyday objects and the CrossFit website actually has links for this. It's all free to the public and you can look on their website and see body weight workouts where you just use your human body. Every time you sit down or you stand up, you've just performed a squat and a deadlift. Okay. You can do that. You can do, um, you can take a book bag and put a bottle of water in it. Okay, and use the book bag to walk around. It's almost like rucking, it's called. You know, so there's, there's everyday household objects that you can do. You can take your kid's book bag and use that. Those things weigh a freaking ton. Yeah. I think you guys could vouch for how heavy it is. Yes, we can. It really is. Yes, we can. Even still while working from home or learning from home? I don't even heavy. know what a book bag is now. <laughs> I still use my bag. It's still heavy. I carry everything in there. When you look at the sports aspect of CrossFit, um, what exactly does that game or that session or that show consist of? So the CrossFit Games and the CrossFit Open, so it's the Open that comes first, decides who's going to the games. So the, what'll happen is uh, Dave Castro is the one who programs, he designs all the workouts for the CrossFit Open, which actually starts in three weeks. And it's open to, and the reason it's called an Open, it's open to 
anyone that is interested in CrossFit, you don't have to be a CrossFitter, but anyone that's interested in CrossFit can actually register for like 20 bucks and do all these workouts. So there'll a series of physical challenges. It could be, you know, run a mile and do this many deadlifts and, you know, your, your time is your score. All right. And all those scores worldwide get put into this pool and whoever's the best winds up going to the CrossFit games. And that's where they do the most insane workouts you can ever imagine. Like, you know, go swim three miles, then go bike 10 miles, and then go lift this heavy weight, you know, 40 times. You know, it's it's nuts. It's good stuff. You can see it on YouTube. What would be the most uh, rewarding part of your job? Um, the most rewarding to, in all over 18 years or just today? Um, all right, we'll do both of them, actually. <clears throat> um the most rewarding part of my job so far in 18 years was uh, my partner and I called it, caught a serial rapist. Okay, that was in Bushwick. Okay, on Troutman Street. And we he was attacking a woman and we saved her from him. So that's so far been the most rewarding part of my job. But I've had a bunch of little moments like that. Okay, um, while I was in aviation, my partner and I found a guy that was drowning who had just fallen off of a dinner cruise. And then we found an autistic missing boy in the woods in Englewood, New Jersey, because they called us in for help in the same night. So that's been pretty rewarding too. Most rewarding part of my day so far today, I got to talk to a bunch of really amazing people in this group, but I got to talk to a bunch of really amazing people that want to do programming here in the center starting in March. Since we managed to uh, make the way back to kind of like more centered around the job, how often do you find, I mean, no, I know that you're the president of the, of the crossfitting here, but how often do you find it actually really integrating into your daily routine of, of working with the NYPD? So for me, because I primarily have an office job, I don't really get to use my physical abilities or lack of abilities all that much sitting at a desk typing away busily. But um, I have friends that are detectives in narcotics. I have friends that are patrol cops that all are part of this. And they active CrossFitters. And they do find use for it because you have to... One of the things that you have to realize is if you walk into a room, you're a police officer, you're wearing the uniform, you walk into a room to deal with a situation. If you walk into that room physically, mentally prepared, okay, you're, you're confident that you're strong, that you've just lifted 350 pounds last night and you worked out and you feel great and you take care of yourself, you walk into that room with a different mindset, okay, and you will tend to deal with people in a more confident way, okay? And the way you carry yourself helps to diffuse a lot of situations, okay? So that's one of the things that is an incredible incredible benefit of being physically fit, okay? So on a daily basis, do I get to utilize that a lot? No, I'm in an, I'm in an office and I deal primarily with my staff. But a cop on the street who's physically fit, who encounters a situation, he or she is going to approach that situation differently because they're confident in their physical abilities. So what I'm hearing is you want me to randomly attack you at your desk now? Yeah, and absolutely. See if you're <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, Lieutenant, I would love to thank you for being on our show here. Um, I learned a lot about aviation and even more about CrossFit. So thank you very much for giving that well, insight. We'll, we'll see when you join us in the gym. Well, one step at a time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for having me and thank you for the great questions. And thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe and rate us wherever you can. Make sure you tune in next week and thank you for opting in.